You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. back with an all-new episode of keep it i am excited for two reasons one that's it okay well many reasons but two right now got it Alyssa master monaco is here two-time keep it guest well she was a guest before and now she's been elevated to co-host i'm co-hosting congrats get it it straight i'm also sorry (laughs) yes Never going to leave. You have to put up with us the entire episode. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's like advancing from the fifth to sixth circle of hell. (laughs) Well, like, I mean, you know that that you guys, this is sort of like Keep It Is My Sweet Spot. It is the one pod I do listen to every single week. Oh, good Lord. Because it's everything. You've got all my stuff. I like to talk about TV and pop culture. (laughs) You know why I'm also excited. Why? Because it is officially fall. Oh, you just are glaring you, at me. You just want to hurt my feelings. It's, it's fall. I will say, right when summer ends, then award season happens. So on that level, I do enjoy it. But otherwise, you guys, you think a V-neck cardigan is going to make you look cute? It won't. I should have brought leaves today and just thrown them in the air. It's, I will say, though, like in L.A., so I left New York and it was 90 degrees, which does not feel like fall. Ooh. But here your leaves just die. They're just yeah. brown. It's a yeah. little bit of a bummer. Yeah. And I'm wearing the linen I wore in July, so... It doesn't, I'm not quite at fall yet. There are randomly, I feel like, three streets, probably in like the Hancock Park area. Maybe they import the trees where <laughs> the leaves actually turn like colors. fall here, colors. Yeah. And, and you see them on the ground and everything like you're on the East Coast. I mean, I feel like they import them. I know. It feels like, is there, are they filming like, you know, a version of Our yeah. Town or something? <laughs> Stolen trees. <laughs> Was this in the Grover's Corners part of Hancock <laughs> Park? Also, speaking of former Keep It guests, Manny Moore <gasps> has a new song. And it's so good. Yes, it dropped Mature, last week. Mature but not old. That's what I would say about that single. Okay. It's very good. I, I've been calling it like um, White Roberta Flack. Sure. Yeah, if, you know, if like Roberta had a bit more of a poppier um, vibe, like like her Ashford and Simpson song, um, Here It Comes. Yes, I love yeah. that song. I was just, how crazy. I was just listening to It Seems to Hang On by Ashford and Simpson. How weird. Anyway. Okay. Well, I, th- I think I think we're starting to be tethered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't like that movie, but okay. It's such a good song. It's such a good song. I mean, it's like the minute it came out, I download, I've, I've listened to it on repeat because I like need to learn it. You oh, know? yeah. That's mm-hmm. my, because I love a song even more when I know all the words. But no, she's, I mean, look. She's queen. Yes. There are few people better, kinder, more talented. I know. And I was actually sad I did not run into her this <gasps> weekend. We're going to talk about the Emmys, obviously. But, uh, you know, I was sneaking in the Emmy parties and things. And later, I would see her Instagram post that she was at the same parties. I just did not. Oh, how her. painful. Can I, I know. When I had my book event here in L.A., you know, it's like your book comes out and you're super nervous. And I got to my L.A. event and the woman who was running it comes up to me and she's like, um, some of your guests have already arrived. I'm like, what do you mean? It doesn't start for an hour. 
Mandy and her husband and their in-laws did not want to be late. And so they arrived. They had saved seats. I told them she had saved seats. She, they were there, <laughs> front and center, just waiting like— Oh, my God. Like my mom at a dance recital. She's I couldn't like believe it. a frightening,ly polite and nice person. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, is that possible? Anyway. I mean, she came to Lewis's birthday party. What? And stayed. She brought some. I have friends who are like, did she bring these almonds that I really like? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I was going to say about that single also. I saw somebody else make this comment, but I want to claim that I also had it. Anyway, um, it reminds me of Natalie Imbruglia's second album, White Lily's Island, mm. which at the time was described as like a light version of PJ Harvey's story, Stories from the City, Stories from the City, if you know that album. But um, it, 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 it's mature, but also like, I don't know, you feel, you feel like you're listening to a person who has lived experience and is incorporated into good Saturday morning music. White Lily's? She's from Australia. They have them there. Wow. The only white things are like a succession and white only. <laughs> oh, succession. Oh, sure. A, a latter uh, Michelle Pfeiffer hit. Yeah, yeah. my queen. Uh, succession. We're going to talk about that, too. Oh, but I'm so glad you're here. Because, like, I have to say, as a very white person, which I am, mm -hmm. that is my favorite all-white show. It is white excellence. <laughs> By the way, you know what is like also me. the whitest show of all time? <laughs> Game of Thrones. When they yeah. were on stage at the yeah. Emmys, I was like, oh, yeah, right. You guys are all, you're all snow. Wendell <laughs> 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 uh, and Christy dressed like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's true. Dressed like she was in Gaga's Judas video. Yes. Oh, even that was more correct. Well, I think that we're just going to have to go ahead and get the show started okay. because I want to get into the Emmys. Uh, we are going to talk about them. Mm. We are also going to talk about... Um, Planeteer, Greta Thunberg. Oh, yes. An Inconvenient Truth Hurts. Is that the name of this episode? <laughs> oh, that uh, feels right. I love that title. I had one already, but maybe I'll go replaced. with that one. That'd be a movie with a theme by Melizzo Etheridge. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, took a DNA test. Turns out David Crosby's the father of my kids. <laughs> I, had a, I had a fallout boy um, pun. Oh, you don't say. In mind. I'd like to reject that. Full sale. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think people would like the title uh, A Little Less 16 Candles, A Little More Stop Climate Change. I mean, do we have Dada titles now? <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of one of their songs. I know. I know. But all their titles are just like, what refrigerator magnets fell into the guitar? I mean, it's just random words. Well, uh, Taylor Swift loves Fall Out Boy, which I found out this really? week. Really? Yeah. Huh. In her Rolling Stone interview. And I was like. Uh, you know, I always I always remember why I will be tied to her forever. Why? She's a Sagittarius, and I'm oh, like, oh, okay. Yeah, I just love them. I feel tied to her because of her cats. Mm. Was she names after television characters? That I actually do understand. Olivia mm. Benson. Yes. yes. And Meredith, Meredith Gray. Gray. Yeah. And also, I would just like to say. <laughs> She inspired me because my cat is Midgey Maisel. Oh, cute. Mm. Because she is both delightful and a hot mess. And will continue to win Emmys even when it doesn't need them. She's also white. The cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we will also have an interview with Terrell Alvid McCraney. You ever just meet somebody and know they are smarter than you in every way? That's how I run. I happens to <laughs> yeah. me a lot. Imagine being friends with him. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> just sometimes there'll be text exchanges and he'll relate something to the Tempest. And I'm like, I Whoa. remember part of that. Right. Caliban, and I love not cute. That's what I remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have an interview with him that we did 
a bit ago, so mm. Alyssa won't be involved in it. I won't. Sorry. Sorry. The magic of keep it. Sometimes. Sometimes. You, things sometimes you vaporize. <laughs> uh, we will be right back. Keep it is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes. When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. This Sunday was the 71st Primetime Emmy Awards. 71! I root for award shows because I don't have a brand otherwise. But also, we only have like four live events that everyone gathers around and tweets about. And the Emmys are, you know, in the top five. And now that the Emmys have the worst ratings ever, I am in peril. 
Uh, well, I mean, you can always write for the Teen Choice Awards. Oh, God. Where they still give out entire surfboards. They give out a surfboard. What's the last really? time a child surfed? I want to know. I don't know. I always have a dream of winning one at some point because I just I want that surfboard. Well, that's the award show where there's also 275 categories. Yes. You can be like, best influencer who wears, you know, cute spectacles. <laughs> <laughs> it lasts an entire week. Like an really? Arist- like an Aristotelian play competition. <laughs> no, not really. I think it's like two hours. Hours. Whatever. Still a lot. <laughs> and they, they they present like two awards on air, but it goes on and on and on. There's just a scrolling screen where it's like, and we gave this to Selena Gomez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, despite some very historic wins, the show was actually pretty awful. It, it was is, terrible. Yeah. It was a crazy dichotomy of how uh, uh, the winner tally can be amazing and the show can be truly unwatchable in Treacherous. most respects. It was, it was, it was like nothing. I am... I am not you, Lewis, but uh-huh. I have been watching award shows since we had a television. I look forward to it. I plan meals around it. I bake. I prep. Even if I'm alone, I have cocktails. I take it in and I enjoy the beauty. This was so bad. I'm it was glad. like unwatchable. It really was. I mean, like, I had to think about it. I'm like, was it as bad as last year with Colin Jost and Michael Che? No, it was not. It was not as bad. They weirdly sort of just delivered the jokes they had to deliver, to Mm -hmm. put it in Ira parlance. But They um, did what they had to do. There we are. Uh, But this year... It was it, the lack of host made the whole show feel super unmoored and, right. b- and leading, by the way, with a weird Homer Simpson bit weird. that led into the weirdest Brian Cranston speech that he looked either mortified to deliver or scared to deliver. <laughs> OK, so talking about that, um, it was on Fox, right, which is why Homer Simpson came out first and then he died. He was hit by a piano because it's like Looney Tunes now. (laughs) And then Anthony Anderson got up. And I liked the bit about him trying to steal some Emmys with his mom. That was funny. But the bit about him trying to save the show, I don't know why he kept shouting Taraji's name and saying, I'm not going to let the Empire fall. Yeah, that was weird. Fox person was like, make a bunch of Empire jokes so people know that Empire is coming back. Let me tell you something. One of your stars faked a crime this year. They know about your show. And the other star was just on the red carpet, Terrence Howard, talking about Pythagoras like he was going to solve his riddles. By the way, Pythagoras, not a riddle maker. So we should have known the Emmys this year were going to be a disaster because, one, Fox was putting them on. And every time Fox puts on the Emmys, they're always cheap and promoting their uh, insane TV shows like The Mass Singer. Uh, oh, that was weird, too. That was uncomfortable. Jenny McCarthy was on the red carpet, and it, it was interesting to watch celebrities who know better, know better, and <laughs> like look at her in the eye and say, actually, this isn't going to happen. You and uh, I speaking. <laughs> well, let's talk about the fact that she basically harassed Christina Applegate on the red carpet. She talked about how she watched Christina growing up on TV and wish that she could be her when she got older. Christina Applegate is a full one year older than Jenny McCarthy. Oh my God, so grim. Does not vaxxing make you dumb? lose track of time? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think she's she's been dumb. She's been dumb since singled out. I mean, I agree. And like Christina Applegate, she just was like, she had that look that was like, 
I want to kill you. I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to. She, I call it doing like the Sean Spicer into the bushes. She was just like trying to fade back. <laughs> yeah, like, like save me. Also, what? Christina Applegate. No, I'm going to criticize Christina Applegate for a second because she did, she did an interview too on the red carpet with. Juliana Rancic, where I think Juliana Rancic said, oh, is there anything you want to say to your daughter on TV or something? And then she made and she made the remark like, well, I don't think she's watching E, which is funny. But I also (laughs) just want to say, I think Juliana Rancic is given too hard a time. I think she does a pretty good job. Well, and people treat her like trash for having about as much personality as you're allowed to have on E. It is a twofold reason. One, you could forever hate Juliana Rancic for her comments about Zendaya that time. That was definitely she dumb. She smelled like patchouli. However. Which, hello, I would not wear nothing but patchouli. I hope you can smell me from across the table. Right. I'm also like, I love um, the Tempo fragrance from Diptyque, which is basically patchouli. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, so I walk around smelling like patchouli all the time. Like a clean hippie. Uh, would you hate <laughs> me, Juliana? Uh, or the other twofold. Obviously, Zendaya is amazing and talented and the future, but I feel like that was also a lightning rod moment that made everyone sort of feel like we stand her. Zendaya? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I so honestly... Juliana's moment was evil, yeah. but it kind of had the intended effect of making us realize that Zendaya was amazing because her response to it, I feel like, is what made people True. start standing her. Correct, correct, correct. And also, I now finally watched Euphoria, and I know to be terrified of her talent and also terrified of teens. <laughs> <laughs> These kids are giving me an anxiety attack. Did you see Gwyneth Paltrow's interview with her? Yes. No. What? Gwyneth Paltrow was like, what did I do? to have to talk to this woman. <laughs> right. Because weirdly, they're they're both from the same moment in time, too. Yeah. So it's weird. Like, they both arri- arrived at, like, 95, 96. And now they're both here. And they're both couldn't be in vaster, more different places. You'd never think they interact. So just from a, a curiosity perspective, I wanted to see them interact. But also, Gwyneth does not just meet anybody. So that's very shocking. Which is also kind of weird too because I think Goop falls into the same category as anti-vaxxing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, so they probably have a lot in common. The left-wing anti-vaxxing is Goop. Yes, yeah. right. Well, it's like, you know, the old episodes of Law & Order SVU. We always laugh because I live in Tribeca. And in the law, old, old episodes of Law & Order, it is always the the white Tribeca moms who are making people sick. They're the anti-vaxxers. They're lying. They're sending their kids to school. And they also... <laughs> Covering like, up murders. And they also like goop. And so I do feel like they dovetail in downtown Manhattan. Mm. Guys, somebody has to buy a Vicuña fur purse. And it may as well be goop customers. <laughs> Just leave them alone. <laughs> well, no host wasn't the only problem that this show had. Thomas Lennon's voiceover oh. was a mess. Can I tell you something Appalling. about that? Okay, I think there's a universe in which commentary on the awards with with some sarcasm would work. Of course. There was something about the way Hosts he would— usually do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I was referring to is they would announce the winner, and then on the way to the stage, Thomas Lennon would read, I'll say, snarky facts about the winner or, you know, uh, congrats to Col- Columbia's own Julia Garner or whatever he'd say. Mm. And the tone of it was so strange leading into actual sincerity. It just mm-hmm. didn't work. It was so jarring. It, it made you forget the moment itself. It made you forget to be happy for the winners. Yeah. I think it tends to work when you're introducing people. Yeah. I like when the host is right. introducing yes. two people. You know, it's like, especially if it's a random pairing 
and you can make a joke about you know why The Rock is coming out with um, Meryl Streep or something. You know that's funny. But yeah, when someone is winning, and especially when it's historic moments like yeah. the show ended up having, uh, which is by chance, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's right. not it like the producers who made this mess of a show knew that was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, it just feels weird doing that when someone's about to go on stage. Yeah. And he seemed over it. He yeah. said it Yeah, sucks. he kept trailing off. Like his voice kept trailing off and his funnies weren't funny. So what did we like about the show? I mean, I guess I would say I like the speeches, generally speaking, particularly Michelle Williams, because she gave a speech about that sort of harkened back to when she was underpaid for all the money in the world. And Mark Wahlberg, I was I believe, was paid 10 figures for whatever he had to reshoot or whatever. Well, that's how much you pay someone who almost kills an Asian man and gets away with it. And said he could have prevented 9-11. Thank you. Oh, um, I forgot about that nugget. Yeah. He's, he's just got that kind of energy. <laughs> uh, she gave a speech where she talked, yeah, talked about uh, uh, pay disparity. And she also, it was tight and she didn't skip a word. There is nothing wrong with preparing a speech down to the word. Wait, so I have a question. What was the controversy? With Michelle Williams? Yeah. So do you remember the movie All the Money in, in the World? Yeah. With, yeah, it was about Getty family and the kidnapping. Right, I watched it. It was okay. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg, they had to do all these reshoots because right. Kevin Spacey was originally in the movie. Right. And they replaced him with Christopher Plummer, who would eventually be nominated for an Oscar. Anyway, because of those reshoots, Mark Wahlberg, who I'm sure had 50 other Transformers movies on his plate or whatever, was paid something like more than double what uh, Michelle Williams was paid for those reshoots. And she basically just agreed to do it. And it was wild because they were rep by the same agency, too. Oh, I so remember that. I remember that. Yes. They knew that he was getting more than her. So she won uh, Best Actress in the Miniseries for Fosse Verdon. Right. And she said, I thank the producers for giving me exactly what I needed, more resources, even when it costs more money. And that naturally led to her right. sort of bringing up the, all the money in the world. Which was thing. great, too, because she also didn't just mention equal pay for women. She pointed out that women of color right. make much less money than even white women in the industry. Uh, and I thought it was a very well-rounded speech. I thought it was great. Right. Uh, she I, looks good. She's so young. That, Ellen Burstyn energy yes. That for me. dress, I think, was one of the best on the red she carpet. She looked fantastic. She looked beautiful. And it also gave us a beautiful unintended moment of uh, people who were mad about the speech. That's because, that's why I'm well, asking. Right. Why were they mad? Well, well, people, I couldn't. People get mad about the speech because, I mean, why are you talking about equal pay? Does That's why they were mad? I mean, pay disparities don't exist unless uh, just like climate change. Uh, there, but... <laughs> there are, by the way, too many correct things to talk about in a speech. It's a strange ceremony. Right. What are you supposed to do with that minute and a half? Like, do you really just want them to name agents, et cetera? There are clever, right. there are clever things to bring Every up. Every time someone was like, uh, the UTA, et cetera. I also Boring. feel like the only people who think they're agents were people at UTA. It was like. Chill out, UTA. I'm not saying I'm going to win an EGOT anytime soon, but I've got news for you. I'm not thanking anybody on my <laughs> fucking team. <laughs> I'm thanking Jane Fonda for existing, etc. You know whose speech I loved? Alex Borstein. Hmm. I think she is like almost, she's not underrated. She's well rewarded. And we, she's been on Getting On and all these great shows. She really is fucking hilarious. She yeah. is. Billy Porter's speech was oh. fantastic. Uh, the only time I like someone thanking um, someone who represented them because he just thanked his manager who said had been with him for 29 years um, and support. That's a him. long road to hoe. You get a right. thanks for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like he hasn't fired you. 
<laughs> which right. means he got posed and all this, and you didn't become like obnoxious, and he kept you on his team. Yeah, that's great. And he was wearing a giant hat that looked to me like a shoehorn. Yes, I, I felt so sad as someone who's five foot two. The first thing I saw, I was like, I'm so sad for the people sitting behind him. Like, you just can't see anything. And then I said that, and then like 25 people said it on Twitter. So I was like, all right, I'm not original. I this, mean, weekend was... I, this weekend, I went to a screening of the Downton Abbey movie, and it was themed, like you could dress up for it. And one of my friends was sitting directly behind somebody in a fascinator. And oh, I laughed because it wasn't <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, yes, he was wearing the moon from um, the Gershwin musical, Crazy for You. And... <laughs> He he looked good though. What I really like about Billy is that he leans into camp mm-hmm. for his outfit, so he knows his camp and he knows it's fun. Uh, kind of like Prince. Yes. Yeah. May he rest yeah. in peace. May he rest um, in peace. I mean, and God love him, um, JVN. But um, I feel like when Jonathan Van Ness goes for those wilder looks. It doesn't have the effect that Billy does. Oh, well, I agree. Well, Jonathan Van Ness is more going for like a a slinky feel good in my skin thing. Whereas Billy Porter is going for showbiz. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? But it always seems like JVN is trying to go for showbiz and trying to be like, cause he's glamor, he's mm-hmm. fashion. It just doesn't work. Was I just talking about recently how six years ago there was that uh, uh, Eurovision contestant, uh, Conchita Wurst who won and she, you know, had a beard and long hair. Yeah. And at the time I remember thinking, what a crazy look. People are not going to whatever. This is this is so unusual. This is going to break boundaries. Now every gay man has a friend <laughs> who looks like that. Now everybody's like, you know, slightly gender queer at least in presentation when they're going out to Palm Springs. Right. A, a beard and a dress, groundbreaking. That's what I mean. Yeah. I really liked Jarrell Jerome's speech. Oh yes. Uh, when he won for when they see us, uh it was also, a reminder that what three black people won historic wins. Oh yeah, all night because RuPaul won too. Right, exactly. that was great. Yeah, guys, uh, did I tell you what, what happened with RuPaul? So, no. Okay, please. I work. I work in late night. I was doing a bit backstage, and I was going to the bathroom, and I walked past RuPaul, who just has just won his Emmy. This is. I'm sorry. This is a brag, but I just I, I need to tell the story because somebody should hear it. I I that I walk past him and then he, I hear him go. I know who you are, and I'm thinking, <gasps> oh, it's like you know, uh, I don't know what he means. Attorney goes, I use that Jeopardy gif all the time, and he kissed <laughs> me on the face. What? Anyway, sometimes I don't think you know. I'm like, why would I ever really, you know, get to know RuPaul? It was a pretty sweet moment. I was literally like, I have to text my mom. That's lovely. I know, isn't that sweet? But, he he stopped me. But speaking of RuPaul, he was in the hot seat. Oh, yes. Backstage, uh, Danielle Young from Essence asked why, for someone who talks about diversity, et cetera, everybody on stage with him was white. There was one Latina, I believe. Um, And his answer was very weird. Oh, was it? What was it? So he was asked, I don't see a lot of diversity. I'm curious how you feel, especially someone who represents so strongly for the LGBT community. His first response was, and the BLT community. Those are letters. Okay. (laughs) And then he said, first of all, the host of our show is black, gay, and a drag queen. So check, check, and check. But no, we're pretty diverse. Yes, there are lots of different types of people up here. Is it important? Absolutely. You know, I grew up. I had to fight. I feel like I'm about to quote a movie right now. And then a bunch of people in the room said, all my life I had to fight from the color purple. And he said, yeah, yeah, it wasn't easy getting here. 
you know what I had to do. And some of the things, I'm not going to repeat what I had to do. But yeah, I think we got it. Oh. Well, I mean. Is he talking about sucking dick for water? <laughs> that was a journey. <laughs> he sounded like the man from the Firefest documentary. You know what I had to do. Oh, also, by the guy. way, I just want to say, like, that would that question would not have immediately occurred to me, and it is a fair question. Well, no, yes, I, it was a thing that occurred to me immediately, and a lot of people on the internet, obviously, because it's you're so used to seeing so many white producers just walking up on the stage, right? It it was a stark reminder that a lot, even when you have diverse faces, so many of the producers of things are white, <laughs> which is why I really like Ryan Murphy involving yeah. people like. Janet Mock. Oh, Stephen Janet Mock. To, like, tell the story of Pose. Um, and seeing RuPaul walk up on that stage and knowing the race issues that have happened on the show, Drag Race, just seeing him walk up with a bunch of white people was very stark. And it just sort of hit me. And it was like, it's that thing you get, you know, where you some people who get to where they need to be um, sort of don't have it in their minds to help elevate other people of color you know he's like he mentioned i had to fight i had to do this it's like great so what are you doing to help right. other black queer people not have to do that and i obviously- need to give white queer people more of a job producing drag race it's also interesting just knowing that these stories that so many memorable queens of color on that show right their stories yeah. are being crafted by white people behind the camera right and i mean like i would say among reality shows there's conversations about intersectionalism occurring that you just wouldn't see anywhere else. Um, but you're right. For that reason, I forget to think about, well, what's happening backstage on that show? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, because you see it forefront. Like you see like the Latrices, the Valentinas, you know, the Vixens, et cetera, on camera. And then you forget that, you know, the rest of it. It's all white. Anyway, real. You better work. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of white things, Succession <gasps> won best writing right. in a drama. I think they're going to win a lot more next year. I do. Yeah, I think it's because uh, so. Oh, it's, we're still at the tail end of Game of Thrones. Of course, yeah. they're going to win more next yeah. year. This is my brag moment. Go so on. I was at a party. Oh, please. Uh, first of all, everyone felt this way. There were so many stars at like the evening before Emmy party. I saw Ezra Koenig there. Again, oh, too. really? Mm. He was with Rashida. They were like. We want to see the succession people. Like Amy Poehler was like dancing over with the succession people. Um, I danced with Shiv to the Amex's party up in here. Her name is, by the way, Sarah Snook. Yeah, Sarah Snook. Um, Australian. But wouldn't you rather be known as Shiv now? I guess. Just saying. Single name phenomenon Shiv. were the stars of the night. Were they nice? They were very nice. Oh, thank God. Uh, Nicholas Braun, who plays Cousin Gregory, is basically (laughs) Cousin Gregory. (laughs) <laughs> is he really seven feet in real life? Yes, he's so tall. Uh, he's so tall. He was very sweet. Uh, but I will say um, I found out a crazy story what? from Sarah Snook. So first I felt crazy approaching her at the Hollywood Reporter party. And I was like, I just want to fight over you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to your publicist. Um, and I took it and I put it on Instagram. But then she found me at the EW <laughs> Emmy party and said, um, So one of my friends in Australia saw this photo of us and was like, oh, my God, how do you know Ira? I love Keep It. Anyway, um, hi to that person. If you're listening. That's your story. Somebody has heard of our podcast. No. I mean, she approached you. Yeah. So then I started talking about how we have the same birthday. Uh 
because it's mentioned on Wikipedia that she was born July 28th as well. I was mm. like, oh my God, you're a Leo. And she said, no. She said oh, right. that she has tried constantly to change her birthday to her actual birthday, December 1st on Wikipedia, but Wikipedia always tells her she's wrong and denies the changes. Wow. So her birthday, I think, will just now be July 28th forever. Who the fuck put that propaganda out there? (laughs) By the way, speaking of people I'm fascinated by, this isn't a succession thing. I was sad that, so Fleabag won all these awards, most awards, but then didn't win Outstanding Supporting Actress. I love Sean Clifford on that show, uh, who plays the sister Claire. I think the, the the thing that Fleabag for me gets the most right is the that particular dynamic between sisters of being, I'm thinking of my friends Erica and Anusha right now. If you're listening, I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm outing you. Um, of being like mortified by everything your sibling does and indignant about it and mad at them. And then also there's something foundational about your relationship where it's like you're mad that you would do anything for them. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is really well represented by the two of them. And also Sean Clifford is now borderline in my coven. Remember that the coven game mm-hmm. because she's about to be in a dramatization of the UK who wants to be a millionaire cheating scandal where a couple would cough three times if the answer was C and then they ended up winning a million dollars. I remember that scandal. Yeah. Yeah. Really crazy. The greatest UK drama since Hollyoaks. (laughs) I will say that. I love you, Sean Clifford. I I will say that Fleabag winning um, highlighted something else about the Emmys. Uh, There was, I think, a report that like it's been maybe like almost a decade since a network drama has won best drama. Mm. Um, And then thinking of comedy, uh, (laughs) Wendy Williams had a Kiki Palmer moment this week where she said, uh, I don't know who this is, but congrats, girl, (laughs) to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And it was like, of course she doesn't know who she is because it's a reminder that media people love Fleabag. Yeah. And and Succession, which which ratings aren't huge either. They're not Game of Thrones ratings. Really? Uh, no, I'm I'm disappointed. Uh, and hmm. white people watch it. <laughs> um, white people, you can't count them on them for anything. And it's just a reminder that these this new sort of streaming era, it's people aren't globally watching so many of these things. Right. Everything is like, a niche choice right. now. There's and not even, consensus TV yeah. anymore. And even yeah. though Fleabag's winning, that will probably get more eyes on Fleabag, or at least Phoebe, she'll be cast in movies and like other things, and people will get to know who she is as a celebrity, like she's going to be on SNL this season. And but, she's writing the upcoming and James Bond may, movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they may never see Fleabag, but they'll know who Phoebe is, and there'll probably be people later being like, oh my god, I finally saw this Fleabag show, and it's interesting, but yeah, just reminded that like, even with like, Emmy ratings low and things, and Fox really trying to jam home for people (laughs) to watch The Masked Singer or Empire or whatever, still more people will watch those shows at their lowest rated than have ever watched Fleabag. Right, that is extremely grim. I, I am sad I mean, to be it's network TV. More yeah. people have network TV than they have Amazon Prime. Speaking of ratings, by the way, uh, I saw a couple people, namely Mark Harris tweeted about this, and I think it's true. It is crazy how the Oscars are still talked about as like going through a ratings crisis when it's still the second most popular live event of the year and it had something like 29 million viewers. The Emmys, meanwhile, have like Five million. Like, it's like a fraction of it. And we just don't care to have that conversation as much. I don't know. Even as a TV person uh, who adores it, I feel like 
the Oscars is more of an event. You yeah. Know? I mean, as a person who grew up loving TV, I just always felt that the Emmys, the Oscars doesn't always get it right, obviously, but it feels more like a fun competition. Mm-hmm. The Emmys just always feel like either a foregone conclusion for a show that yeah, keeps winning every fucking year. Oh, beep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like Modern Family, you know, right. like and or um, it's not really representing the stuff that you love, you know, I mean. There's something to be said about, oh, conflict movies like Black Panther mm-hmm. or even when like comedies win Oscars, um, et cetera, right? The shows that people really love and that are interesting and doing so much for the genre on TV are never nominated or win. Or it because, takes them forever to be nominated. Or, right. Yeah. Or to recognize the um, creators, you know, because I'm like the Emmys would be much more interesting if shows like. Star Trek or like Buffy or um, other shows of that ilk that were on lower rated networks than the big three, big four, uh, ever got nominated. But they didn't. Well, you know, like you're not recognizing Buffy's musical episode at the Emmys. Uh, it's sort of like it's always felt out of touch to me watching the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Well, and they could spruce it up. You know, like I think one thing that would be so interesting is like they waste time on all these like lame comedy bits that don't land. They should do like man on the street interviews. Like imagine how much it would do for Succession if they interviewed diehard fans of Succession as an intro to whatever nomination there was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I just feel like Proof pe- that people are watching. TV. Yeah, yeah. that the, the they're watching it. Why it's interesting to people, because if you just watch a clip, say you don't know the show, which a lot of them that are on Emmys, I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And you, well, not a lot. Some. And I just feel like they could really they could bring it more. It's like if it's not going to be as elevated as the Oscars, at least make it useful to the, you know, they barely, industry. They <laughs> you wouldn't rather just have Brian. Clips. You wouldn't rather just have Brian Cranston insist that this is the most powerful time in television history and then walk off I was like, stage did Aaron and salt. Sorkin write that speech. Right? No, <laughs> it, it was, was some Studio sixty shit. And it was. It was Studio yeah. sixty. And it was overwrought. And it completely didn't seem like it was serious because it came immediately after Anthony Anderson's bit. Right. So Which I was thought a it zany was, bit. So I thought it was comedy and then by the time you realize that Brian Cannes said, no, this is real, television has never been so damn good that it was serious. See, I thought it was a joke because I saw Network. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like on Broadway. Mm. And that was basically... Yeah, the timbre of it. Yes. Yeah. And so mm. I was like, oh, this is like a bit, you know, yeah. I didn't think it was serious. Mm, wow. Guys, I'm really being educated here today. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it was a bit. Maybe as far we'll, as I could tell, people were just clapping. Maybe will tell us. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, the Emmys. Who else did we miss? Was anything else interesting? I enjoyed Patricia Arquette's speech a lot. Yeah. She was she, good. In an impromptu way, she talked about uh, her sister Alexis Arquette mm-hmm. uh, dying last year and called out um, for, you know, stop persecuting trans people and to hire them. Yeah. Give she kept jobs. it pretty simple. She's like, give them jobs. Give them jobs. She's like, and? okay, they can't all be cast on Pose. Right, right. <laughs> and she's living her best life over 50. Right. And it's just a reminder that, like, Alexis Arquette was um, in movies and things. That's like right. how you right. knew who she was. You oh, know? here's a good essay question for this panel <laughs> that Patricia Arquette just reminded me of. How many Emmys do you think equals an Oscar? I think it might four. be four. You think it's four? Four. I think I was going to say three to four, but you have to have it in two categories. That's okay. my guess. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think if you just won four, like John Larroquette or mm-hmm. um, um, I think Laurie Metcalf has three. Um, 
it doesn't feel exactly right because you just got them for the same role, mm-hmm. you know? Right. No, I, do, I think it's like four. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing I mean, you know, like people continuing to win for the same role when like it's not like the material has really changed. Mm-hmm. It's. I don't know. I think there needs to be. But I also I think there needs like to be that about where, the Emmys. I like the consistency and the like, actually, it's not that entertaining to give someone the same award again and again. But sometimes what are you supposed to do? Like they, you know, it, I don't know. I feel to like commit if you win to a winner one year, has integrity. I feel like maybe if you win one year, you shouldn't be able to enter the next year. I oh, agree wow, with you. I think that's crazy. I, I just, no, I do. Because you're constantly watching the same people win awards. You got to spread the wealth. Like, love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. But, I mean, how many people... Like, yes, she is excellent, and I guess if you're just... But, like, if they were really a true litmus test, it would be one thing, but it's all a little bit, you know? Like, who's campaigning? Who's spending more money? Who's I just, doing what? I just feel like in that case, though, then the Emmys would lose meaning because everybody would have won. You know what I mean? There is, like, a fair. degree of that's interest to, to having... Eight, like, oh, Cloris Leachman has eight Emmys. You know why? Because she's been in fucking everything and was excellent in all of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas if she just had one thing, it's, I don't know. I, I think volume does say something, just like with the Grammys. That, to me, is the only thing Grammys have in their corner mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I but for Grammys, you always have to, year after year, you're always nominated for something different. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Right? And that's the thing. Like, the Oscars and the Grammys, is, the difference is, like, it's always something different. Right. And at least the Golden Globes wow. makes a... Um, effort to because they like new shiny things the Hollywood Foreign Press does to always nominate like new shows or actors within the TV category within like their first year. Which Unless the they're Emmys just committing to like the one show that you forget exists. Like the Golden Globes always reminded me that Outlander existed. <laughs> <laughs> that shit too. You know, you just reminded me Outlander existed. Exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, well, our, our horny librarian listeners are very upset with you too. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's the... That's our Emmy combo. Enjoyed the win. Uh, congrats to Jodie Comer, too, who looked exactly like evil Betty Gilpin throughout yeah. the ceremony. It would have been wild if Phoebe had won for Killing the, Eve. For, yeah. for Killing Eve, because then she would have matched David E. Kelly, winning for <sighs> a comedy and a drama in the same year. And probably better than him, because she would have also won for Best Lead Actress. Right, yeah. Instead, she had to settle for a Donald Glover year, where she won for <laughs> acting and series and writing. Mm, wow. Pathetic. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. In studio today, we have Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney to talk about his new own series, David Makes Man. Terrell Alvin McCraney. I like people with long names, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. We had Barry here at the end of last year. Oh, yeah? Uh, Yeah. And we were talking about you. 
So uh, I hope good things. Uh, no, he was like, I hate working with Terrell. I <laughs> he, she should. He's so so talented. So. When playwrights just like rummage their way into movies and win an Oscar immediately, I'm sorry. It feels like you're making a mockery of the whole thing. It's very Tom Stoppard. <laughs> <laughs> Who? I'm joking. Uh, I love Tom Stoppard. I was just kidding. Did you see Rock and Roll, though? No. Okay. Was that's, why, that's why you love Tom Stoppard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm what kidding. It, it was just so long. <laughs> it was very long. <laughs> No, you are doing so much. You were you were playwriting. You are writing movies. Now you have this TV show. Mm-hmm. What else are you doing? You are still teaching at Yale. Yeah, I'm still the chair of uh, playwriting at Yale. I too many jobs. Uh, yeah, it's the Caribbean <laughs> inside of me. I think just one too many jobs. But tell us a bit about your transition into television. Then I mean, you've done plays. You've got the Oscar. And now you're doing television. Well, it's, uh, I mean, Ira, you you actually know this probably uh, better than you're describing it. So you're leading me to talk, which is nice. (laughs) But, you know, like uh, these projects don't sort of come out of thin air or come in a a nicely planned way. I mean, the script for In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue was written in 2003. Mm -hmm. Um, The summer after my mother passed away or my mother died of AIDS-related complications, I wrote that script and put it in a put it in a closet, put it in a drawer, put it on a hard drive and sort of kept it through grad school. And and it just happened that Barry got a hold of it through um, the Borscht Film Festival, um, friends of ours at the Borscht Film Festival in Miami um, around 2010. So, you know, it just again, it was one of those moments where and he said, look, we can make this into a, a feature. Uh, not this weird length script that you have. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and, and that's what we—that's what he said he would do. And he's a Scorpio, so he does what he says he's going to mm. do. And so, um, Do not mention astrology around Lewis. Oh, sorry. It's, it's, I'm going to—I'm eventually bringing my friend, um, Shani, who is a astrologist on the show. Oh, and dope. I'm going to convert Lewis. Okay. Yeah. You're pretending like I'm going to get one horoscope one day that's going to change my entire view of this. I mean, I'll allow you to do it. But... I'm also bringing a gun. Okay. All right. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, these projects happen at their own maturation, their own time. And, and similarly, around 2010, 2011, um, Andre Holland, who is another friend of mine, uh, mm-hmm. brought me out to L.A., uh, and just said, you know, I, I just want you to be out here and take meetings and write some scripts um, and write ideas for scripts down. And one of the ideas was this television series. I just I had met, had, I met with HBO and they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm really interested in uh, creating a, a series around uh, being gifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not gifted like I'm gifted, but gifted like in the gifted program. So when mm-hmm. you're in that black school or you're in that commu- black community and uh, somebody's like, oh, you can read on this high level. They then all of a sudden test you for gifted and they bust you away to all these very prestigious white schools outside of your neighborhood that then start teaching you things like don't say aunt and gonna and wanna and finna. Um, and then they invite you to sleepovers and then your parents are like, what the hell is a sleepover? Because they're black and we don't do that shit. Um <laughs> And and so you start learning these very, you know, um, unique cultural mores on both sides of the the sort of proverbial bus stop. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to explore that because it's an American, it's a very specific American phenomenon. um, And it specifically impacts uh, marginalized communities, you know, people. 
really interesting seeing that. Because you were gifted too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what have like, I done with it? But right. no, but so many people, especially, you know, who are successful, mm-hmm. um, uh, are tested and are deemed gifted or talented and go to gifted and talented schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that the folks who aren't, aren't gifted, but it's just that we are then acclimatized or acclimatized to the environment of quote unquote professional world. We're also taught anti-black and anti-community mm-hmm. um, ideas. It's so, always interesting seeing, I guess, those kinds of schools, especially the depiction in David Makes Man, you know, mm-hmm. because like, I feel like the gifted schools I went to in Milwaukee at first, because Milwaukee is more diverse than most people know. Mm-hmm. Um, all the white people just live in the suburbs. <laughs> um, the schools like my elementary school, like my middle school, those were like gifted schools, but they had heavily like black and Latino populations. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until high school where mm-hmm. I went to like this rich all white boys school mm-hmm. where I really got that sort of like oh now I'm in like a culture shock moment. yeah so it's nice to see it in you know like the younger aspects because I feel like maybe I was more ready for it in high school sure. than it would have been if I were a kid well I'm glad you were more ready for it in high school I was not ready for I mean you know when you go home when when you are literally trying to divert people's moms from dropping you off home. They're like, where do you live? And I'm like, mm, Liberty City. And they're like, I could drop you off there. And I'm like, I know you don't even know where Liberty City is. <laughs> even though even though the proximity to where we live is like a stone's throw, you don't know where this is. And then I have to like try to hide my embarrassment as you drive through uh, and, and then wonder why the fuck I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Like why, that was the other thing. I'd be like, well, why am I embarrassed? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, my family's doing what they can and what with what they have. Um, but you know, again, where you, you learn those cues, you learn like after you drive to so-and-so's, uh, you know, uh, out, you know, second house, you know, (laughs) I had a friend who I was like, you live in the same city, you have a second house that she had like a house on South beach. And then they lived like out in the redlands. And I was like, wait, what? That's not even that far to need a second house. Like, what do you, what are you saving time for? But they had one. And I just, those things were really important to me and interesting to me because, again, all of the friends I had, including Andre, including my best friend, Glenn Davis, we were all sort of bused to these other schools in these other neighborhoods. And I just wanted to talk about what we learned and pick up there, because um, one of the things that I still do to this day is code switch. But more more than code switch, I like emotional switch. Mm-hmm. Like I, I turn off the sort of introverted, very shy self and like become this person who can speak eloquently mm-hmm. and elaborately and articulately about things that are, and I'm like, I don't really care. half the time. I don't care about the shit I'm talking about. <laughs> um, ha- half the time, I'm just trying to make sure people are dazzled enough to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sweating. I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to make sure the performance of um, engagement uh, is enough for people to like sort of back off and don't ask me what, how it's really going on inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know where I learned that. I learned that at a gifted school. Yeah. I'm going to say something that I think is so strange about television, just historically going back to the beginning of TV, is how unrealistic classroom scenes seem. Mm. You know, just like the the lesson being taught, for example, will be something that immediately parallels something happening in the protagonist's life. Absolutely. And I was wondering, do you have specific moments just in in the classroom that you then translated directly onto this show? Because I feel like this is one of the most authentic feeling classrooms I've seen on a TV show. Oh, well, that's one of that lesson is uh, is grafted from my own life. I mean, I I had dynamic again. You can't you can't blame the program. The programs were great. I I learned a lot. I had really great teachers and they and uh, one of them, few of them were black women. And they would just be like, you know, I know you're at this white school. 
Think he's gonna date these little white girls and white boys, but you need to remember the where you come from, right? Um, and it would be so shocking to like for them to pull me aside and say that because I'd be like, hey, don't pull the veneer away. Like, don't don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. I'm working here. Um, but they, but you know, the lesson about who you are and where you come from was one that one of my my uh, teachers in in elementary school was really um, adamant about. And I remember just being horrified about having having to come in with something because I was, at, on the one hand, very proud of who we were and, and where we came from. At the same time, I had no idea how that um, would go over with the other folks in the classroom. I didn't know how explain, you know, if I if I explained the corner trade to them. You know how to go. How would it go down? You know, if I explained to them that pre the wire, you know exactly. They didn't know exactly. If I explained to them, like you know, that a sex worker lived two doors down, did I? How would that go over? It would. You know, what would it mean to them to explain what number running meant? You Mm -hmm. know, and so I was like, so it was one of those moments where I, I sort of froze instead of acting, and and now I feel like well. Um, maybe I should have, maybe I didn't, but I, I know the lesson in that moment was I was again, hiding things that I was proud of and, and thought beautiful, um, for the sake of performing normalcy. Yeah. I mean, you think about that, like what is even like this normalcy and like the American school system and like what we actually learned. I think there was like some viral tweet like the other day where someone was like, they actually taught us the names of Columbus's ships. Yeah. Like, who the fuck <laughs> right. needs to know that? <laughs> they kind of rhyme, is why I know, we know. Right? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's things where uh, it's just so interesting hearing that because, you know, uh, I feel like the black women I had as teachers were specifically like middle school. Like, mm-hmm. I remember my science teacher, I remember my English teacher mm-hmm. then. But once I got to Marquette, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, I cannot remember a black female teacher that Same. I had at that school. Um, there were black male teachers, but mm-hmm. one of them was the guidance counselor who wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. And the other one taught basketball. And was always asking me if I wanted to play basketball. And I was like, please stop talking to me about basketball. Uh, so <laughs> you, like as a writer, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> as a I writer, like... <laughs> I gravitated towards um, the people who were like the English teachers mm-hmm. or like ran the newspaper. And fortunately, those ended up being white men Mm. um, or the woman who ran the theater department. And so I felt like that helps us be successful, doesn't it? Right. Because the black people, unfortunately, in many parts of the industry are the people who have the proximity to Whiteness. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's again what the show is is touching on is that it we learn those social cues early. You know, proximity to whiteness leads to a, a certain kind of success. To to me, though, it, it and I, I think this is really true of the show, and one of the reasons why we, I wanted to bring it to own is that it 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 can cause alienation from your community. Mm-hmm. And to and and is that is it worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it worth it to be more proximal to whiteness? Yeah. Um, you know, as as the great late Toni Morrison said, you mm-hmm. know, white people got a problem <laughs> <laughs> and only they can fix it. And mm-hmm. so your proximity to that problem only makes you implicit in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you always will look around and find yourself. I mean, every time that I've sort of been put in a position where I am, you know, uh, given more responsibility or more access to um, the privileges of whiteness, um, I look around and I'm like, oh, and now I got to use this to like constrict another person of color, usually, or a woman, you know what I mean? And I'm like, don't make, I I say this all the time to my students, I'm like, don't make me defend the system. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be up here defending this shit. (laughs) I want to make it as free as possible and as easy as possible. And 
for you to be uh, and for and to grant you as much access as I can. Don't don't, don't put me in a position where I gotta like look at these dumbass rules and then kind of relate them mm-hmm. to you. I feel like when I think of the canon of like gay plays, um, it's used of course by white men who've been able to give the audience that sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's why I didn't respond that much to I was I saw the inheritance in mm-hmm. London. Um, mm-hmm. Both parts, all 24 hours. Um, and it was, it felt a little bit like a trying to do an Angels in America, trying to like, mm-hmm. here's a gay story, but we're making it palatable for straight people in the audience. Like, mm-hmm. even some of the jokes are things the way you know you write jokes. So, like, people can understand what slang you're using. Sure, sure. Um, and then it's so different in contrast, seeing, you know, like, um, uh, Strange Loop, mm, you know, sure. which 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 um, thankfully had an audience that seemed more game, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I guess it is that hard thing of like we're still not even at the point where you can tell yeah. stories. I mean, and, until you uh, listen, you've got a list. I haven't seen either of the, either of those. I've only read uh, great things about both, and I. I will tell you that until we, you know, theater is is one of the few places that because it's it's not as accessible. Um, because it doesn't, you know, beam itself into your telephone while you're taking, you know, a shower or <laughs> whatever, or you know, cooking your, your your latest vegan meal. The 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 truth is there will be little to no sh- change there until you get uh, a younger audience who has very uh, limited, not limited, but just few conscripts about what. Um, theater means to them you know if they're if they're sitting there waiting for you to come out and do your soliloquy and then you know your foot your fifth act day new they then you know you're you're sunk mm-hmm. uh, especially if you want to try something new or something outside of the box so but until and until we invest in that until we really invest in in bringing that audience in and sustaining them right because they'll show up and and let have and have a great time. There would be times during Ms. Ms. Black for president that we would be rocking. We would have folks in, and they were, you could you could tell they just came from the club or about mm-hmm. to go to the club, <laughs> and they would just be ready. They would be yesing. They would be hissing. They would be talking. They would be drinking. They would be toasting. They'd be standing up, screaming out, singing songs, all of the above, um, and and you know. They would go, oh, that was a great night coming to this place. But then do they feel like they're welcome back the next time? Mm-hmm. Especially if we, you know, take down Miss Black and put up something else. Mm-hmm. What do we put in this place? Had a gobbler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the bow stratagem. Yeah. <laughs> be like, come on back to see the bow stratagem. <laughs> It'll really wow you. It's like, yeah. what? You know? So we've got to be very, we've got to be very conscious of that, I think. I just lost like superficially questions. Um you were at the Oscars. I was. Um, was there anyone? A long time ago, though. Uh, so long. So long ago. <laughs> uh, it was like yesterday, wasn't it? No. <laughs> uh, uh, and now, you know, now, I mean, you've worked with Felicia Rashad so many times yeah, um, at uh-huh. this point, And now you're doing Own with Oprah. Yeah. Um, has there been, I saw her last night, though. Yes. To be okay. honest. Has there been anyone that you were... A, really excited to see at that ceremony or B, anyone who's like since then been like, oh, I've met this person now. Maybe I want to work with them. Oh, well, there's tons of people I meet and I'm like, oh, I want to I really want to work with them. I mean, uh, Trace Lissette, I met at the Spirit Awards 
uh, outside. I was flirting with Trace Lissette, and she, I love her. Was so excited to see her in the show. <laughs> she was not featuring me. She was like, <laughs> "You are friend zone, sir." And I was like, "That's fine, but you're really beautiful and talented." Um, so I was like, I, "I would really love to work with you." Um, and we became. I think we've become good friends, and we sort of, you know, uh, try to support each other as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I and I wanted her. I wanted well that the role. Um, was always going to be there, mm-hmm. but I specifically wanted Trace to do it because I I, I know uh, where she comes from and I know she knows the world. And she would give an authenticity to it mm-hmm. that I, I knew few few few, few folks could. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know th- things like that have happened, and and I, I really love I love finding artists uh, who who just we become community. We want to work together. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, the big name folks I've met and I like them um a lot. Um it's great working with Oprah, it's great working with MBJ. It's a little like working for the Pep Squad of your, <laughs> I mean, they are the most positive, happy uh we can do this team that you ever want to be a part of. They're a dream team in that way and, you know, my Slytherin self will be in the corner sort of going, guys, we don't have to be so brave. You know, <laughs> like, can't we just... <laughs> well, you know, that's my house, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, is it? I, yeah. I'm Slytherin. I actually haven't read those books, so I'm going to pretend... I, I, Ravenclaw sounds... No astrology. Witty. No I have Harry no Potter. Idea. Wow. Yeah. Are you... Are you... Are you <laughs> Like hyper Christian, you just don't. <laughs> I, to be totally honest with you, not a strong reader. Never have been. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Well, they got the movies. Yeah, right. Which yeah. I can kind of dig. Audiobooks. <laughs> right, uh, sure. Right, right. If you I, could get one narrated by Carly Simon. I'm, I'm too busy listening to Sirius XM The Groove in the car. So, <laughs> oh, that's dope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Terrell, your show is amazing. It's oh, thank lovely. You. you talking about before, like, Shepherd or anything like blurring the lines between like fantasy and like reality and I feel like your show does that so much it was really just a fun experience oh, thanks. Um, and people should watch it it's already airing on own so watch it the Oprah network you know what it is <laughs> <laughs> Wednesdays at 10 I believe 10 yeah. Eastern good Wednesdays at 10 all right Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. On Monday, climate activist Greta Thunberg, who is literally 16, addressed the UN's Climate Action Summit in New York City. Greta first rose to prominence as a climate activist last year in her home of Sweden, where she organized a series of very successful student-led climate strikes. Since then, she's continued to earn media attention, sailing across the Atlantic Ocean to attend the UN summit, where she had a lot to say. Yes, she sailed, because planes killing the globe, I guess. I saw her segment on Trevor Noah where he asked if she she did that because of her Viking heritage. Mm. 
<laughs> Solid mom joke. That joke is secret. That, that show is secretly for your mom. But the best is she like she was like, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, like they forget. Like this is the thing about all the people in America who have been interviewing her. They forget if anyone like. When you listen to some of them, it's clear that they barely looked at her Wikipedia page. They're just like, here's this young Viking with braids, and we're going to embrace her because she's doing good things. Greta started when she talks about how she got into this. She was totally introverted, had no friends, has Asperger's. And so she really like she didn't engage with people. And she had a really severe eating disorder. Mm. Right. So all these things were happening. And she's like, like, think about how much courage it took for her to just go out there and like strike her first time. Mm-hmm. And she gets out there and she does this courageous work. She's standing across the country. She's meeting leaders. She's utterly fearless. And like Fox News can't handle a 16-year-old from Sweden. They can't. Donald Trump, none of them can handle. So they are insane. I mean... it's. I mean, Fox News is generally insane, right? But the way that they have gone overboard attacking her is... Um, She's the new AOC. Right. Didn't that, um, that Michael Knowles <gasps> called her mentally ill? And I always think it... Whenever someone talks about that asshole, I think it's Michael Knowles from Ain't It Cool News. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. The not. Case. <laughs> she... Well, first, so that happens, and it's so egregious and awful on the show that the host is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, take that back. Like, mm-hmm. You can't say that. And then Fox News does a written apology for mm-hmm. what happened. But there was this talk they show host. They apologized for Ailes groping all those people? No, they didn't go there. Not come now. <laughs> you know better than that. Hush money. Bombshell um, too. They, then this talk show host in the UK, uh, she's, a, she's a host at talk radio. Graham Norton? No, Julia, <laughs> what's her name? Julia Hart, Julia, Julia Hartley, Julia Hartley Brewer. She tweets at Greta. What kind of deranged ass adult tweets, Dear Greta, just want you to know I bought several long haul uh, plane tickets for my family to enjoy the beaches at Christmas. Level of guilt, zero. Sort of dumbass cunt. Oh, I remember when that heifer did that. And I I, I think she got thoroughly ratioed and dragged on Twitter. What is wrong? Like, why is your heart so broken that you just attack a child who would never, who's trying to save the polar bears? You're lording pollution over a child. Right. Right. Just like Dr. Blight Laura Ingraham. Yes. When she was. Coming for her too, calling her one of the children of the corn. People make that reference all the time. Have you seen that movie? It yes. doesn't play in this context. No, it doesn't. Sorry. It doesn't, but it does with that that commercial, the progressive insurance commercial. Have you ever seen that one? Wait, uh, with the she shed on fire? No, that one I like. I think that's funny. <laughs> no, the one with the woman, you know, like the the progressive lady. Uh-huh. Right. Wow. So they flow, they all come out of the corn. And my dad and I got into a big fight because I'm like, it's the children of the corn. And my dad's like, it's field of dreams. And then we Googled it and it's both. <laughs> mm. Really? By the way, Flo, I feel like she should be equal to an Oscar at this point. Oh, yeah. She's, She's put in her time. She's an industry. Right. Yeah. Uh, Imagine but, if Wendy the Snapple Lady had it snatched all the time. Yeah. <laughs> had it on lock. Or the Pine Saw Woman. Right. Oh, God, miss her. Yes. Um, no one uses Pine Saw anymore. Uh, that's We're the problem. Dirty. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do you uh, really? Yeah. It smells oh. clean. Yeah, yeah. No, I like for my floors. <laughs> um, Weird. <laughs> Greta's speech, by the way, mm. was was fantastic. I've watched it like three times. Yeah, she opened it up with, how dare you? How dare you? 
That was my best credit. It was very good. I would describe it as Sinead rage. Yeah, it was the... Which is advanced, because Sinead was in her 20s. It was the second best How Dare You I have ever heard after Eileen Davidson in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Not my brand. I can't comment. Okay. That's how I like it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she said, you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. collapsing. It's with- literally just facts. Yes. It's just. Well, how about when she was in Washington earlier in the week? And here again, like, I'm just always blown away. Like, here is this girl who has all kinds of social anxieties and is so introverted. And she fucking testifies before Congress. And you know what her mic drop was? She didn't. Sub- you're supposed to when you testify before Congress, you submit your written testimony for the record. She just submitted the IPC, IPCC, IPAA, the climate report uh, that talks about the 1.5 degrees of global warming. And she's like, this is what I'm submitting because I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the facts. <gasps> right. So that is the thing, too, about the woman who was lording her plane rides over her. Right. Uh, it is it's not like Greta is even saying, stop flying planes, everybody. She talked on Trevor Noah about how, like, not everyone can do that like her, you know? Like, we have to get places, you know? It's not like right. we could take a vacation and then, like, take a boat there the entire time. Um, it's if we did other things to save the globe, planes would be one of the least of our problems. Right. Um, and no one seems to get this. I get that these Fox people that conservatives are crazy and they, they, they hate right. Their whole thing is based on denial. Yeah. Denial and hating everything. But it is just mind boggling to see people constantly deny climate change to pretend it's a partisan issue or like, right. not just that people are making it up, but that imagine not listening to a scientist. It's just, Obviously, people are smarter than you. Listen to smart people. It's fun. It's beneficial. I would like do. Are these people in the hospital getting um, surgeries, just yelling at their doctor? No, I don't believe that's in what science. I mean. By the way, cancer uh, isn't real. You're right. It's I mean, it's the same thing. Um, it's a partisan issue. The liberals created the, the cancer. Socialists. Uh, one minor thing Greta has done that I thought was interesting is that her mom used to be a singer. Yeah, I saw and that. She, and she convinced her to stop based on how, uh, you know, the carbon footprint of traveling all the time, how dangerous that is, I guess. Do you know that her mom was the 2009 Eurovision contestant for Sweden. I did. How strange. Yeah. I've also brought up Eurovision twice this episode. Yeah. So well, congrats to me. Right. And like how someone who someone who does that then has a, a you know, a daughter who's so shy, you know, so shy and introverted and, you mm-hmm. know, but God bless Brad. I love Greta. Well, so I mean, much. my yeah, humble brag that makes sense. She followed me back on Twitter. Ooh. Oh, really? I had a day like that. Was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, it was like it was like nine months ago because I've been I've been with Greta since day one. Oh, yeah. And I like I got like a notification. I, and I was like, oh, my Oh my God, I told my husband, like, Greta followed me back. He's like, who is Greta? I was like, oh, are you a Republican? What do you mean? Who's Greta? <laughs> I stand her, but I I can't follow teen. I understand that. No. Okay. Though there's nothing the teen river- about her. True. Um, no, my natural mode is, of course, terror saying, of teens. Yes. Any, anyone under 18, I can't follow them on Twitter. It's just, just them knowing what I'm doing. Fair enough. Fair it's enough. It's creepy. Fair enough. It's creepy. Teenagers, are, they're, they're like, uh, once upon a time, teenagers were, you know, smoking, irresponsible people my generation. Now they're like, 
little rats in little hoodies who whisper Billie Eilish at each other all the time. They have little <laughs> secrets with each other. Right. I just want them showing up in a leather jacket smoking at the carnival and right. saying, tell me about it, stud. <laughs> <laughs> That's, teens should be 30 years old and Australian. <laughs> um, I will say that um, one thing that's very interesting about Greta is the reason she's so popular is not just because of the work that she's doing um, or her mom. It's also just because of this backlash to her, right? Right. You know? And you think about the other people who deserve the same sort of energy. Um, you know, I constantly think about, like, Little Miss Flint. You know? Oh, sure. And um, I wish that something could be done there, too. The same way mm -hmm. so many people are rallying behind Greta, I wish people could rally behind Little Miss Flint. I mean, if you, no, took, you're right. if, if you took half of the money that was given to Notre Dame, <laughs> Flint would have clean water. Um, not even half of it. Uh, didn't they get like a billion fucking dollars for that damn cathedral? They did, but then they also raised all the money for the churches down south. Mm. Okay. The churches down south? The ones that burned? Oh, yeah. Remember? Well, probably, you know, the Catholic Church. <laughs> a lot of those churches need to burn. <laughs> I saw Spotlight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Um, no, I, you know, and also they plundered things from other countries, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's history. Yeah. That's what happens. Notre Dame. Plundering, pillaging, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, not that I'm advocating burning churches across Europe, but... Um, it's It was disproportionate response. Right. It was disproportionate response. and But it reminds me that the reason that that doesn't happen is Fox News isn't really scared of, like, Little Miss Flint, you know? No. Because she's a, she's, she's a black girl in um, Michigan. They don't care, you know? Whereas Greta, something like that, people get upset, livid of it. The Parkland kids, for example. Right. The, 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 like, the white ones that, like, really were prominent. Like, you had people like Ben Shapiro and Laura Ingraham, like, attacking them online. Yeah, David Hogue, right? I mean, yeah. they couldn't get enough of him. Yeah, but they're not attacking Little Miss Flint. Well, well but the, the best part—no, I was going to say, the best part about Greta is that she kind of falls squarely in the bucket of immigrants that Donald Trump would accept— so it's kind of funny because she's like, how do you like me now? Right, right, right. right. And, and she's not quite old enough yet for Fox News people to call her desperate as a woman. So they have to sort of just deal with it at the mm -hmm. time. Like maybe they can call her emotional. They call her mentally ill. Mentally ill. Ill. Yeah, right, yes. yeah. Mentally ill Swedish girl. Well, actually, Shame. maybe what Little Miss Flint should do is just call Laura Ingraham a bitch. <laughs> Get her to angrily tweet at her. And then we can blow up this whole Flint thing. I bet Greta would go visit Little Miss Flint and they could just pair up. Yes, the color of friendship, too. Right. <laughs> I feel like Ira's always on the verge of writing fanfic. We don't need to encourage this. <laughs> Me? Write fanfic? Never. Anyway, let them be friends. Let them be friends. Elevate each other's causes. Yeah. Uh, it's just nice seeing some global leaders uh, be good instead of wearing uh, blackface. I'm hoping that Greta does not have uh, blackface in her past. I'm I'm guessing she doesn't. <laughs> How many times did it turn out he has done blackface? Was it something in three or four times? Hashtag number unknown. More times <laughs> than um, La Bowen has been adapted. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Justin Trudeau, of course. <laughs> he <laughs> is so funny to me. That press conference 
that he did on a plane, by the way. What was that? Which is, first of all. Ill-advised. Listen to Greta. (laughs) Right. Already not paying attention. (laughs) Uh, Where he was like, you know, I I don't want to say how many times I've done blackface because I can't remember. Number unknown. And it's like. Listen, you maple leaf. <laughs> Did you just wake up every morning and put on a black mask? Yeah, right. I mean, it was right. like really, in, it was really intense too. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't he just did his like hands. the whole thing. It was. It was. I mean, I'm surprised he's not still a bit off color because it didn't all come off. I just never get people who wear blackface to Halloween parties too because it's like, who wants to make out with someone? Wearing blackface. I, well, my, Do you that's want my foot pro- on you like you're a little match girl? That's my problem with <laughs> Halloween in general. I just find make that kind of makeup like, ew, it's like spammy. It's like oozy. I can't stand it. Anyway, we'll be back with Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Alyssa, this is your very first Keep it. It's my first keep it. I hope I do you proud. Of course be, you will. I think you will. Yeah. I hope so. Is if, is Lewis your keep it? No. Oh, well, then you've disappointed me. <laughs> You're <laughs> shooting for a B plus at best now. Okay, is it my turn? Yes, it's your do turn. Do I go? Yes, Okay, go. I'm kicking off my keep it with a quote. Oh. Yeah, you guys, you know I'm prepared. Are I you mean, graduating from high school? No. Okay. Is it no. when people show you who they are Con- the first time, believe them? So, <laughs> Mr. Rogers... A quote from Mr. Rogers, the world needs a sense of worth and when it will achieve it only by its people feeling that they are worthwhile. Right. How much wisdom did Mr. Rogers bring to us? So, you know, who can keep it? Retailer Yandy's, the sexy costume retailer that made the nicest neighbor costume. Sexy Mr. Rogers, they have brought to the streets of America that might for be Halloween. The rock bottom of sexy costumes. Rock bottom. <laughs> because, by the way, it's not a signature enough look that you would even recognize it as sexy Mr. Rogers initially. Correct, because it has a tie and it's like it's it's like a midriff bearing thing. And this is the same retailer known for making the sexy handmaid's costume. Mm. Last year, Handmaid's Tale, to be clear. Don't put a hat on a hat. But anyway, (laughs) so that was my thing. Yandy says they try to one-up themselves every year, so. That sounds like the brainchild of a West Hollywood instigay who puts on a sweater and a tie and just has underwear on with sneakers and goes around parties saying, I'm Mr. Rogers. Right, right, right. And you're like. Sure you are. There are just there. There are other things to be. Let him, let him rest in peace. I fucking loved Mr. Rogers. Loved. I'm I can't not wait to see that movie. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to emotionally handle the movie because I've cried every time the trailers come on. Mr. I mean, Rogers makes me cry, and Tom Hanks is so, so here's, Tom Hanksy that I cry. Tom Hanks officially has rounded out what he needs to do. To be president of the United States. Yeah, mm. right. He's He has been Jim Lovell. He brought the Apollo 13 back to Earth with, you know, out anybody dying. He was Forrest Gump. He's been everybody. Yep, Philadelphia has a little bit of, has some gay crap. He has empathy for every population of this country. Right. He has empathy for Americans who are stuck in airport terminals on the holidays. Um, Veterans. Hello, Commander Dan, Lieutenant Dan, whatever yeah. his name was. Um, stand-up comedians. Remember when Sally Field was going to be a stand-up in that movie? Yeah. Punchline. <gasps> Even the bros, you know, bachelor party. 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Everybody, you guys. Every demographic. Yeah. Also, you know what I have to say about Mr. Rogers that I think is an underrated part of his legacy is him as an interviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I remember specifically he had Margaret Hamilton who played the Wicked Witch of the West, and she she was talking about um, how she has to reintroduce herself to kids so that they're not afraid. It's such a, it's such a memorable celebrity interaction. I, I I feel like people should be minding that part of what he did way more. Because the way I'm he going to, to now is so he, he was just genuinely curious. To, uh, it, I'm going to compare him to Jonathan Van Ness. His curiosity is somewhat electric in an interview format. You, you're, you want to know what he wants to know about. Getting curious with Mr. Rogers. Yes. Right. right. <gasps> I wonder how that movie will be. Also, a guaranteed oh. supporting nomination for Tom Hanks. Is he supporting? Isn't that wild? It's one of those movies where how? it's about... Uh, Oh, it's like somebody is going in to interview Mr. Rogers. So he's technically the lead. Oh, it's it's, uh, Carrie Russell's husband. What's his real name? Matthew Reese. Oh, it's Matthew Reese. Yes. Oh, speaking of Sally Field. Right. He was in Brothers and Sisters. Oh, yes. Yes. I had to find. I had to break up with that. Wait, with Brothers and Sisters? Yeah. That remember that that epic finale, that one season finale they had. It's like. Uh, Callista Flockhart had just overcome cancer. They were adopting a baby. They kill Rob uh, Lowe in a car accident. There's a pileup. Well, Uncle who Saul has kill Rob Lowe right. In a car accident I mean, on the whole any thing. Show he's been on. And it's like, was it Saul, her uncle? He came out as gay, and then they gave him AIDS in the same episode. What the <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> I never, I never watched it after that. That was it. They they broke me. Well, yeah, it re- it really did. The soap jumped out. It yeah. I think it worked when it was still Emily Van Camp was the, you know, the illegitimate daughter. Yeah. Uh, But then they introduced that illegitimate son who maybe was faking it and scamming them. I stopped before that. It, it It turned into like 2000s General Hospital. What did we do with Rachel Griffiths? I love her. You ever seen Hillary and Jackie? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great movie. Awesome movie. Yeah. Yeah. Nominated for that. Come back, Rachel. I know. Love her. Yeah. She looks a little like, um... I guess Betty Gilpin. She looks. She she to me looks. She's a face I want to just. You know, moving on. Sorry. She looks like the actress from Transparent. If she um, shaved her eyebrows. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, Lewis, what's your keep it? Um, this is a salty keep it. I keep it to this season of Big Brother, which is the reality show I still insist on watching for reasons I can't entirely comprehend. It's. Uh, I always it's it's like if people were living in The Sims and you couldn't just, you know, <laughs> murder them in a swimming pool accident. They had to keep surviving. Um, I started watching this season again, too. I bailed. We talked about it when it was full of racists in the beginning of this season. But then they started turning on each other and voting each other out. Right. And I feel like the second act of this season was riveting. Yeah. And then the third act, it's gone back off the rails. Well, the thing about Big Brother is it always is very compelling at one point because the two loudest, most problematic or strategic Machiavellian players eventually have a -a tete-a-tete. The problem is one of them gets eliminated and then one lives on and then that person either wins the show or is the only interesting part of the show or whatever. In this case, this one guy, Jackson, who started dating this other contestant named Holly, they ended up like being the king and queen of the house and nobody has challenged them. And they what's what's weird about Big Brother is usually you have enough strategic players that showmances, as they're called, are one broken up or two people like this Jackson guy who's just has the energy of 
Somebody who won't let go of the pool table at like a, a frat bar, just that kind of energy is still in power. And the only person against him is this girl, Nicole, who's like this bookish kind of um, self-effacing person. And she seems like the person who is smart enough to know what to do, but she instead just led him and this woman uh, into the final three. And now I'm like, I can't even root for you because you have enabled the worst person on the show. When she got rid of Tommy, who was this gay guy who was full of life and would have been a much better ally for her and somebody she could have beaten in the final three. I'm sorry. This is all very elementary. today. No, it's (laughs) uh, it reminds me that the better show. I don't know if you watch it. I don't know if we talked about it. Big Brother Canada. I've seen a little bit of it. I don't stand it. Big Brother Canada. You should watch the whole season. Okay. Big Brother Canada has better gameplay. It's more diverse. And they put in people who someone like Jackson would not have survived as long as he would have in Big Brother Canada because people would be like, fuck you. We're not letting you steamroll us all season. Yeah. Like people are willing to challenge the person who's like the king of the house in Big Brother Canada. Yeah. But every time there's always just a bunch of white people on Big Brother and then like four people of color and they get picked off. And then the other white people are still living in high school and want to defer to the man who's going to save them. And I want to say that that's the main problem with this season of Big Brother, too, is that every person of color was picked off one by one from episode one to two to three to four. And then we were left with these people. And now we have, you know. And Abercrombie's on It's like The Bachelor yeah. in Paradise and all franchises, actually. Yeah, that's true. And they were made to stay in a camp. <laughs> right. It was summer camp themed, but I mean, and then the overtones sh- were the overtones. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, was that Les Moonves' parting shot? <laughs> uh, my keep it this week is less of a keep it and more of a more of a plea for humanity to do the right thing. Oh, here we go. Is this about Rosie Perez? Oh. has stolen Lenny Kravitz's sunglasses. <gasps> I saw that. He put, There's a special uh, Gmail address to yes. find the sunglasses. He put on Twitter, I'm missing this pair of sunglasses after my show in LA at the Shrine this weekend. They are incredibly sentimental to me. They are vintage and they belonged to a family member. Hoping to get them back. No, no questions, questions asked. asked. <laughs> Any information, please email kravitzglasses at gmail.com. I have to say, I saw that on Twitter and I like paused for a minute. I was like, poor Lenny. As if he lost his dog. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but they do look historical. I mean, yeah. they've been all over. Dumb question. Uh, they're men's glasses? Don't know. Don't know. Because Not entirely clear. He's he's related to so many Wonderful women. First of all, Zoe Kravitz. If they're hers, I'm already concerned. Is it Lisa Bonet? Because, I mean, that's that would be fabulous. And his mom is the legendary Roxy Roker from the Jeffersons. I feel like they're Roxy's they, glasses. Yeah. If they're Roxy they look, Roker's they glasses, look like they're Ro- very... I will cry on air. They look like Roxy's glasses. Have you seen them? Yeah. I think that they actually look like women's glasses. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. That, I mean, I'm sad for him, but I'm excited. You know what gives it away? The arms of the glasses. Mm. You know, they're like very, I think they're they're like retro 70 lady glasses. Yes. Back when we still define sunglasses by gender. Right. Yes. Correct. <laughs> the correct. dark ages. My sunglasses go by they. Oh, I bet they do. Um, you know what's interesting about Lenny Kravitz? He, to me now, and I feel like 
he looks so the standard of what a rocker looks like. Like if you were to pick a rocker on The Sims, it would look like Lenny Kravitz. Right. He almost doesn't have an identity to me because the idea of what a rock performer looks like is so now seemingly based on him. I I love Lenny so much. I feel like one of the things that got me into my Sex in the City fandom is him. How? <laughs> This is going to sound crazy. I didn't really watch Sex in the City that much, mm-hmm. but I was obsessed before I got into it, Sex in the City with the Gap commercial that Sarah Jessica Parker danced to oh, yes. Lady in. Oh, and right. And it was all pink. I remember that. I remember that. And I was obsessed that. with that song, and I became obsessed with him, and I became obsessed with her, and then I had to start watching Sex in the City. I wonder what my On favorite. reruns or original? I think it was still on at that oh, point okay, for me. Good. That's yeah. nice. I went to college at the exact time when everybody had the pink book. So yeah. I watched it all in retrospect. I think that I started Sex in the City probably a year before Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah. Alexander Petrovsky. Yes. Um, a year or so before it. Uh, I was able to watch it all like in reruns. And right. Watch some of it on HBO, too. But I feel like I didn't dive in until the end of the show because just- it just seemed like. I watched The Sopranos with my mom, but watching The Sex in the City with my mom when we had HBO as a kid just seemed we, I wasn't going to be watching that with her. My uh, my TV chronology is that Friends, ER, and My So-Called Life were all my freshman year of college. It's oh, when they debuted. Good time it's to why, be there. It's why I am who I am. <laughs> we had no interesting television from 2004 to 2008. Everybody on my floor watched Family Guy, and I was, oh. you know, watching In college. My, yeah. Um, Wait, no. 2004 was the launch of... Desert Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, Lost, and Ugly Bad. I did watch Grey's Anatomy, um, and I caught up on Veronica Mars. That's all that happened. Yeah, Veronica too. Yeah. Never watched Lost. No, not my brand. Me neither. Not into being spooked. Also, Lenny Kravitz makes me wants to pose this question to you: What is your least favorite song by your favorite artist? Least favorite. I know my least favorite Lenny Kravitz song is Guns N' Roses off of the. Blueprint Volume 2 by Jay-Z. Uh, because oh, he, right. he rhymes guns and roses with friends and foeses. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I actually, I don't love Justify My Love. Madonna's uh, song. I don't love that song. I'm sorry, what? I, don't, I love the re- William Orbit remix. I don't love the version with Lenny Kravitz on it. I don't love Dark Sky, Dark Star by The Grateful Dead. Oh, you're a Grateful Dead person. Oh. Were you at the bowl recently? I missed it by a day, Ugh. but I go everywhere else, oh, and I love wow. it. But Dark Star, just it's like it's not. It doesn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Well, Hollow Notes, you know that's my favorite band. Yes. My tattoo and all. I loathe Method of Modern Love. Wow, wouldn't it really? Be yeah, it just opens up with them doing the like spelling method, like M E T H O. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I get that. I want you crooning. I don't want you. It's tedious. Spelling like you're on Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> I think if I had to pick uh, the worst Madonna single, though, I would go any single 2012 onward. Like, Give Me All Your Love and might be my least favorite, which had Nicki Minaj and uh, M.I.A. on it. Why? I just don't like that oh, song. you. You want to? <laughs> <laughs> Fell right into it. Uh, thanks again to Terrell Alvin McCraney for sitting down with me and Lewis. And Alyssa, thank you for being a co-host this week. Oh, I'm just not going to leave the chair. Just going to stay here. <laughs> An Airbnb squatter just exactly on Exactly right. Just like Anna Navarro. She'll never leave the view. <laughs> Every other Friday. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood.
Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday, and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide, and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.